I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back in to the Lions 24-7 podcast. I'm Tyler Downey. You can Sean Fitz, and we're getting ready for this game number six of Penn State's schedule, one of the most anticipated matchups nationally at this point of the season. Number four, Penn State. Number three, Iowa. We had a really Good head start on talking about this matchup on Monday when we welcomed David Eicholt from our 24-7 Sports Iowa site. Highly recommend if you missed that one for whatever reason or just skip through that uh, interview. A lot of context for things we're going to be talking about all week and writing about all week and things you're going to hear about all week. David's all over that program covering it, so we appreciate all the time he gave us on Monday. We're going to turn our attention back to this Penn State squad. We're coming out of a bunch of player calls. We heard from Coach Franklin again. We'll be back on the practice field a few hours after recording. So typical midweek game week, a little bit of catch up, a little bit of looking forward. And Sean, uh, just a massive matchup. The more I see my Twitter feed filled with people who aren't Penn State related tweeting about a Penn State game, the more it reminds me that you know we're, we're just a few days away from uh, just an awesome game. Yeah, can't wait. Um, and a lot of people can't wait. Uh, as you mentioned, it's it's become a national conversation. Yeah, it's good for Penn State to be back in that. Um, obviously, things are going really well for them right now and to, to get a win like this. And I know this is probably not the marquee game that everybody uh, drew it up, you know, in the preseason, but it, it, it's fantastic to uh, for, for Penn State to be where they're at right now. And uh, you, you can't really oversell especially on a weekend like this in which you got red river rivalry you've got and thank god i don't have to say that more than once um and 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 some other games that are not quite marquee games for for penn state to be in the national spotlight it's it's huge for that program uh, as they recruit as they try and get out there and get in front of uh in front of people and and expand their brand um it's it'd be a very big one for penn state and when you look beyond this matchup and Penn State keeps winning marquee games, they're going to have more marquee games. That's the way their schedule lays out a lot of national attention on this Penn State team as they keep winning. Um, Sean, we've got a lot to look at here. We're going to get to our preview of the matchup, our final looks at the matchup, some keys to the game, uh, and our predictions ultimately on our next episode as we do in episode three of every game week. But just starting on, on you know, kind of what the, the vibes have been around Happy Valley this week at, for a 5-0 team. Um, I think Clifford, uh, you know, I'll start here. We, we had a conversation with Sean Clifford uh, just about an hour and a half before recording here, maybe a little bit earlier than that. Um, he's having fun creating, um, but he's doing it in a way that's staying under control. It's something that Mike Yersich will hopefully tell us more about on Thursday. But James Franklin referenced this on Tuesday that Sean, it's something we've talked about as well. When he's moving laterally, when he's facing pressure, the eyes aren't going down to the ground. The eyes aren't going toward the sideline. The eyes are going downfield. And he's able to, to kind of gauge where he's at on the field, stay within himself, and then make something happen through the through the air. And we've seen that happen a couple of times against Indiana. Um, and, and he said it's something that him and Yursich have really kind of worked on together in turning scrambles into positive plays. And it felt like last year those scrambles very so often – ended up with a positive play for Penn State. More often than not, it ended up with a hit, a turnover, something bad. And now you're seeing, you know, something created. And I thought that that was something that stood out through Sean Clifford's first five games here under Mike Yersich. 
And I think that's going to be an important thing on, on Saturday because you you talk about Iowa and how they play the zone coverage, and and that's traditionally been where Sean Clifford has struggled against the zone. Um, so you, you've got to figure out if he can maybe make those reads where they break down or where they vacate a zone and, and you find a tight end or something like that. As you mentioned, that improvisation, uh, the part of his game was not there last year. And it was when it, when it was there, it was a problem because he would turn the ball over take some bad hits and things like that. Um, you know, and, and he would also tuck it down and run and, and, and got some good gains out of it. Um, but now you can throw it up there to John Dotson and maybe he slips behind the defense or something like that. And, and really it's, it, it's brought a new level to this offense. And, and, and when you can break down and make those plays, you can be successful. We referenced it on our first episode this week. Trace was so good at that. And that 2016 and 2017 offense was so good at, at just kind of, finding themselves breaking down and then all of a sudden finding a receiver 50 yards down the field. So um, if he can do that, I, I, th- I think when you look at the matchups, Penn State has the big play threats in this game and and that's where they're going to come from. I don't think it's going to come from anything, um, you know, set, uh, you know, just taking a, t- a typical play or anything like that. When, when it breaks down and when Penn State can, can freewheel and be successful, that's when they can put points on the board. And Clifford gives you something else uh, in a road game in Kinnick Stadium that not many teams have in a road game at Kinnick Stadium. A guy who started in that situation already. He talked about that a little bit today, looking back at the 2019 matchup, which was really the defensive effort carried through there. It was one of Jaquan Brisker's earlier moments with the program coming up with, with a big play. Um, remember Robert Windsor had a heck of a Windsor game. game. Yeah. There was a goal <laughs> line stand. Um, there was the, the Pat Fryermuth touchdown that was supposed to happen. That didn't happen. There was a lot that went into the game, but you talked about this. That was really the first true cracks that we saw from Sean Clifford who had really, you know, cruised through the early stages of his first season as a starter in 2019 uh, made that trip to Maryland. He mentioned that being a road environment that he faced early, but he and Penn State took that Maryland crowd out of the equation by the second quarter. It was a 59 nothing game. That Iowa game, looking back on it, he says, you know, learned a lot of lessons that day. Um, but when you can look back on that and, and, and kind of put yourself back in those shoes, that's advantageous. And again, a lot of college football contenders at this point because everybody seems to be still alive um, halfway through the season. But not a lot of them have quarterbacks who have this kind of a depth of history. And we know there's been highs and lows with, with Sean Clifford, but he has resources within himself that he can turn to. And this is one of them going on the road to Kinnick Stadium. And luckily for Penn State, he's, he's a very different quarterback than he was at that point. That was the time when defensive coordinators realized if you change the defense at the line of scrimmage, Clifford's going to have a problem. And, and, you know, you've got your now and hopefully you've worked through some of those issues and, and he's a college quarterback. He'll make mistakes, no doubt about it. Um, but you minimize the mistakes, you minimize the effect of the mistakes. Um, maybe it's a throwaway instead of a pick and it just doesn't seem like much at the time, but that could change the game completely. So um, he, he's older, he's more mature, he's handled it well, and uh, he's handled himself well throughout the season. Another big test. Nobody's com- nobody's confusing College Park and Iowa uh, and, and 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 Iowa City. So it's really going to be um, a completely different atmosphere than he's used to. Wisconsin was one thing, um, but uh, you, you got a little bit of naivety there, and you, you have a, the ability to settle yourself in. And I think this could be a similar game. Because you've got Iowa that can't really score at will, um, Wisconsin obviously could not score at will. So you give yourself an extra possession here, an extra possession there, and you don't have to worry about maybe going two touchdowns down or something like that. And hopefully, knock on wood, hopefully that's not how the game plays out. Um, but you have an opportunity to settle in and, and do some things and, and minimize those mistakes. 
when Iowa has scored, and they've scored a lot, uh, it's been on a short field. Uh, we heard from David Eicholt breaking that down, and he's had some tweets since then. And uh, some, 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 some of the statistics that Iowa has established this year, and people are going to point to the luck of, of their turnover situation. I know he, he wanted to credit the defense for being where it needs to be, and that's everything we hear from Penn State players and coaches is yeah, it's pretty basic. It's what we have seen from Iowa in the past defensively. They're just doing that at, at a ridiculous, ridiculously efficient rate, and they're not leaving any exploitable areas open. Everyone's where they need to be, and they're wreaking havoc on opponents. They're coming up with all these turnovers. Clifford says, we're going into this game, though, feeling good about our ball security. Uh, this is in a situation where you're, you're kind of stumbling around the first part of the season, and, and turnovers are still an issue for Sean Clifford. Three interceptions, really only one of them you truly can pin on him as a poor throw, poor decision situation. So that's through five games. That's big time. Now going on the road here, um, he says we're already a take care of the ball offense uh, during that conversation today. If you can keep it up and you, you're able to protect this football, like Rasheed Walker said, keep the ball out of Iowa defenders' hands, and they really, really, really like their chances to get to 6-0 heading into the bye week. Well, you look at the the schedule, and I've got the Colorado State box score up right now, and Colorado State's not a very good football team, and uh, honestly, I don't know why Steve Adazio has a job there, um, but they they turned the ball over once, had a uh, fumble, no interceptions, only lost by 10 at Kinnick. That doesn't really add up. So that when you're looking at trying to poke holes, and we talked about this with David the other day, everybody's trying to poke holes in the schedule, figure out who's actually good, who's not actually good. You've got the the crossover game against Indiana uh, for both teams, so you've got a little bit of a of a common ground there. But you know the the schedule isn't the most impressive. Then you get to Iowa, or excuse me, then you get to Maryland. You get seven interceptions or seven turnovers or whatever it is, and you got a 51 to 14 game. So I think it's pretty clear. We, we try to hammer that home. It's that, or James Franklin tries to hammer that home that it's turnovers, it's big plays, field position. And so much of this game is going to be turnovers. Yeah. Um, and now in Iowa City yesterday, which is when uh, Kirk Ferentz had his weekly press conference, just like James Franklin, pretty close to each other. Um, you know, we heard about as much praise, according to David, that Ferentz has ever given an opposing player and in, in the way he described Jahan Dotson, the way he respected Jahan Dotson and his impact on the game. Of course, here, though, Sean, there's more conversation about the run game and what that can be for Penn State as a potential springboard toward Big Ten title contention or possible stumbling block if it doesn't get going. Um, that was a topic of conversation with just about every player. But I'll let the offensive lineman, Rasheed Walker, start us off for here because it was basically his version of that R-E-L-A-X that Aaron Rodgers put out a few years ago that everyone remembers when the Packers were struggling. He was like, okay – it's a process. And he said, nothing dramatic needs to be changed. Just a few things missing that we need to complete the puzzle. Now, those were his words. I thought that was a really interesting way for him to phrase it. Um, I think the people who have been talking about it on the message boards, and, and there's been a lot of deep dives into what has gone wrong and what has gone right for the offensive line and the ground game will tell you it's not some colossal failure that's unrepairable. But if it's going to get going, it can't stay stagnant and it can't afford to take a step back as you're taking a step forward in terms of competition. Well done, by the way. Two of the hardest things to do is read while you're on air and spell while you're on air. You just did both in the matter of two sentences. So good on you for doing that. Um, the Penn State run game, especially against Iowa in the last couple of years, Penn State's running backs 13 carries for 16 yards, a nice little 1.2 yards per carry average last year. Now a lot of that was – a lot of the run game was on the quarterbacks. Will Levis started that game, of course. Sean Clifford came in. I think they were the two leading rushers. 
for Penn State. But since that uh, Saquon game in 2017, Penn State's running backs have averaged just three 3.5 yards per carry against Iowa. They've been bottled up for the most part. The, the long runs have not been there. Noah Kane was fabulous as a freshman um, back in 2019, no doubt about it. But um, you're picking up, you're, you're looking at the box score and you're picking up eight or 10 as your chunk plays on the ground. And that's great. You know, you, you want as many of those as you can, but you also want the the 26 yard or the 30 yard or something like that. So that's one thing. Um, I think when you look at the film, the offensive line has been better. There have been creases there. Um, the running backs have, have not always run like there's, there's been creases there. So what's what Rashid is saying is not necessarily you have to change your entire format of the run game, but you've got to execute a little sharper and, and those things will start to open up. Will that happen on the road this weekend against a very good defense? I don't know. Um, but it seems like they, they, they feel confident that they're at least going in the right direction. And if you can get a back to, to, to be decisive and finish those off. And I know we've talked about Kevon Lee in that, in that sense, a bunch this season. Um, if you can get that to happen, then you've got an opportunity to, to, to maybe break a couple of those actual run chunk plays. Rashid Walker, Described Kevon Lee at his best as a bulldozer when he's running the football, and and he's and that's where they want to see him with the football. In fact, you go back to right after game one, I think it was Jaywan Sider said the biggest thing they want to hammer home to Kevon Lee is to run behind those pads and remember that hey, it's great you have all this stuff in your tool bag, in your tool bag, you got this, uh, you know, this speed that that continues to dwindle in your forty time. That's fantastic. Uh, this acceleration part of your game, you, you can do a little bit of things uh, lateral, but that doesn't need to be what you lean on. And it can't be what you lean on as a running back. It needs to be North South and that's your bread and butter. And then everything else you do builds off that wows people off of that. And next thing you know, you're a 22 to 25 carry 120 yard running back for Penn state down the road right now, clearly not getting those kind of touches and, there's been issues, the ball security, and there's been issues with him not trusting in the way this team wants him to play and the way that he's going to be the most effective runner. But you talk to everybody today, and he's clearly, I think, the most captivating player in that offensive backfield that, that really has not been in question for some time. And when you look around and say, well, not a single running back has reached 200 rushing yards at this stage of the season. We're in the second week of October. Who's ready to step up? It's really becoming a trendy pick, and he's coming off of uh, you know his best performance of the year. For people to say it's going to be Kevon, it's going to be Kevon Lee, very much personally still wait and see mode. But how they trust him on the road in Kinnick, and whether that comes early and whether that comes late, is going to tell us a lot. I think of how Sider, Yersich, and Franklin feel about Kevon Lee and whether he's going to be a central figure for them moving forward. And if he puts the ball on the turf again, even if he falls on it again, Forget that's it. you're probably not going to see him again. So at least this weekend. Coaches have a way of of getting so much tighter on the road, and I know sometimes you know Penn State has been successful on the road, hit some big plays and things like that. But every coach I've ever been around plays a different style on the road, even if you don't really notice it on the uh, at first viewing. Um, that's why I'm curious to see what John Levitt, Lovett's uh, involvement is going to be. He's played a lot of football. He's played in a lot of different atmospheres. You go on the road in in, in an atmosphere like this, and you you've got to figure out who's your most reliable guy. Um, love it because of his experience. I think we'll get some touches. He's leading Penn State in touches um, over the last two weeks. I think he's got 24, and, and Lee is probably next closest with 17, I want to say, off the top of my head. Um, so it seems like they're building something up into John Lovett to see what he can do, especially to get to the perimeter, because if you run into the teeth of the Iowa defense, more often than not, and I'm not saying this is this is the best uh, um, front seven that, that Penn State will face, but more often than not, you're not going to have a ton of success. And, and by the way, if there's any – 
if anyone was wondering about Penn State trusting John Lovett in a big moment, remember the first time we really saw him step up for this offense was in the third quarter in front of a whiteout crowd against Auburn. So this this staff likes what they saw from John Lovett behind the scenes. We, we may never find out exactly why he wasn't on the field for those first two weeks, but since he has resurfaced on game days, he has, like you just said, been kind of a uh, an emerging figure. And, and I'm with you. I think we're going to see him involved in the first quarter. I don't know if we'll see four running backs involved in the, involved in the first quarter. Still a little surprised by how that played out. Um, good for Devin Ford, essentially uh, forcing his way onto the field or uh, having opportunities and, and, and playing, there. And, and playing well. That's yeah, the thing. Yeah. Devin Ford looked as as decisive as snappy as as he has during his mm -hmm. career here and um you know they, they still think there's a good player in there but three four four running backs is a lot to play. difficult I mean, it's, it's no, difficult it's very difficult to, to to handle that not so much from the balancing um you know balancing the 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 locker room and all that kind of stuff it's more just about getting your guy getting which guys need to fit your blocking schemes and all that that stuff because if you, if you nobody gets comfortable nobody's going to run you know? Yeah, it's about generating momentum on the ground, and that has been the issue so far. And James Franklin actually talked about that on Tuesday. There's two scenarios that he said he would be absolutely okay to see play out. They can have a, a situation where they have three running backs that they feel are all producing at a high level and all deserving of playing time. He goes back to that number three, which is what we heard back in August, which is, again, why it was surprising to see Devin Ford as the fourth running back early against Indiana. He says the other scenario is someone makes it clear that they are the number one running back and you're forced to really distribute your your carries accordingly. Uh, you're still going to involve a second and third guy, but you're going to see that volume reflected in how you feel about the guy leading that group. And right now they don't have either of those things and they're going to have to find those. And if they can, I think, I mean, you're going to see the, see the ceiling of this offense raised in a real fast hurry if that can happen. But uh, Sean, I'm kind of thinking what is more likely and what would you prefer if you're if you're Penn State to me? I don't know how realistic it is right now in 2021, but the best offensive football I've personally seen from Penn State since covering the team in 2017 is when they have a defined leading runner. And it has been Barkley. It has been Miles Sanders. And then I think it was Noah Kane for a stretch, Journey Brown for a stretch. And since then, it's been very different dynamics in play um, to me though. I think if you can, if it, that is to me, the best I've seen Penn State is when they have a guy that's leading the charge. I agree a hundred percent that I think they want, wanted Noah Kane to be that guy. I just don't think he's where he needs to be physically. Um, and if you remember that they, they've made these moves before, you remember who started the, the 2019 season is the number one running back, Ricky Slade, Ricky Slade. So, I mean, they, they've been able to, to feel themselves out now, obviously going on the road to an undefeated team, not the time you want to be feeling yourself out, but they've done a nice job of, of figuring out that puzzle and making the most of it. So, you know, for, for Penn State fans' sake, uh, you hope they do that this weekend. Uh, one other note here I wanted to get to from the calls. Um, <clears throat> because he did burn his red shirt, uh, Kalen King, game number five in the books for him now at the college level. No surprise there. Everything we heard in the preseason. Um, had a chance to, to pick Castro Field's brain on this a little bit. Three Castro Field's a fifth-year player. 40 plus games to his credit wants to be a coach. So why not pick his brain? He says, Joey Porter has all those athletic tools that, that we've been talking about forever, the wingspan, everything, but now he's matching it with it with an IQ of the game that is really putting himself in a position to not allow any, any open doors or any open windows in the passing lane. It said, it's been really fun to be his roommate on the road. They're going to do that again in Iowa because they end up exchanging so much information, sharing concerns they may have about the game plan. And by the end of it, 
from the entire defensive secondary standpoint, it sounds like they're going into these games feeling so buttoned up, Sean, that, and this goes for the two deep, like who, no matter who's coming in on the field, they feel like everybody's on the same page. And I, I think that's something that hasn't existed for Penn state at the back end, even when they've been on some college football playoff caliber runs in recent years where that trust wasn't there. Now they got to prove it and prove it and prove it. Um, but he talked very highly of that and said, Kalen King, just keep watching the guy. He's going to keep getting better. He's going to have a hell of a career at Penn State. Um, and he just basically said, Kalen King, learning that balance as a college student, college athlete, that's not easy for anyone. Uh, but they feel very comfortable whenever he's on the field. Yeah, with King and with Johnny Dixon, the South Carolina transfer, uh, you kind of feel for them because they'd probably be playing more in a typical scenario. But Tariq Castro-Fields and Joey Porter playing so well right now and that secondary playing so well, so confident right now um, that it's it's tough to, to break. And as we've mentioned, with the schedule that's been put in front of them, those those uh, rotations much tighter. So you're seeing a ton of Porter. You're seeing a bunch of, of Castro-Fields and and that's just not working out for the younger guys, but they'll get on the field. And I think they'll be, you know, confident in their play as well. That's a really, really good group. And as you mentioned, you had a big stat for that group that you texted me this week. I, I couldn't believe it. And now granted, I still haven't watched the Villanova game, or most of the Villanova <laughs> game. I watched a little bit of it, um, but Penn State's secondary and Penn State's defense for that matter, just two passing touchdowns against them all season. And, and they were in the fourth quarter of the Villanova game against the, the third backups, stringers. Or, yeah. Third stringers. So, that's unbelievable. Um, you know, n- not that they faced a passing offense that would, you know, terrify anybody, but through through five games, that's the odds are kind of stacked against you that you would give up a passing touchdown at some point. So that secondary is confident. Um, the, when you look at what Penn State has done in the secondary over the last couple of years, as they go along and as these quarterbacks start beating them, they they lack that confidence. They get on their heels. They get uh, they get back moving backwards and give up those cushions and things like that. And all of a sudden you're giving up 500 yards to, to Memphis. And it's uh, it, it's been a problem, but this group does not seem like they've been overwhelmed. Um, Tariq Castro-Fields, and you have it written down here, uh, made a comment today where the defense is embracing the big moments instead of feeling overwhelmed by them. Um, that's a that's a big deal. That's a big difference. And it's going to make your defense play entirely different when you're out there um, going to the ball instead of making the ball come to you. I mean, Jair Brown's got three picks. That's something you would have said before the season, you just said you're insane, but uh, you know, Iowa's defense has been really good at forcing turnovers. Penn state's also been there as well. Um, Yep. And I thought that was interesting because that comment from Castro fields actually was off a question asking him to compare. And I thought this was a difficult question for Castro fields to answer, but it it brought that answer from 2019, that defense that traveled to, to play Iowa versus 2021, this defense that is traveling to play the same team. Um, he, he said comparing those defenses, and I think at that point that, that, that you know they were unbeaten and three Castro Fields was playing very well, and down the stretch that defensive narrative changed for the Denton Lions in 2019. But they, they probably broke from, what they yeah did. they broke <laughs> they, just they broke. broke. <laughs> uh, I mean, and and they were lucky to to get out of the Cotton Bowl with the win, the way that Brady White was racking up yards, and they had some timely turnovers late, takeaways late. But I, going back to the main point here is that's what jogged him to say this 21 21 defense. When I think about it. They embrace the big moments. They want the big moments because they feel like they're going to act on them. Whereas before, felt more like they were walking on eggshells and avoiding mistakes in the big moments. Call it playing within the framework. Go back to the trust I just talked about. But that is precisely the mindset you want. And look, the numbers don't lie here. That They've given up points on only 8 of 15 red zone opportunities for opponents. Just a, a, an outrageous stat. And I think this is a big reason why if Penn State can play the way they have protecting the football, 
Well, putting up, you know, they don't got to go put up 31 points. We'll talk about our predictions tomorrow, I don't think. I don't think they're going to have to put up 31 points to win this game. Go play, protect the football. I like this. I like the chances when you give it to this defense to do the rest. And, and they did it in 2019 in this matchup. I think Iowa is a better team, no doubt about it. But defensive performance here is everything to me because I think it really gives your offense some wiggle room. And you want your offense to have a little bit of wiggle room. You can't expect them to play a perfect game in this setting. If you can trust those back four guys to just take care of their business and make this a seven on seven up front game, then you're feeling pretty good about the calls that you need to make because you can sort of, uh, you know, take it's kind of like the opposite of of being able to get the quarterback with four. If you can cover the secondary in, you know, and, and with with the limited amount of, of players you have back there then you, you're doing okay. Even Daquan Hardy has been phenomenal in terms of being a man coverage guy. Um, this whole group is, is playing with confidence right now, and it's it's going to be um, a passing game that's, I don't want to say it's similar to Wisconsin because Graham Mertz, is, he seems to be broken now as well. Um, but 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 the Iowa passing game is not going to be one that, that that terrifies you. It's not Ohio State. So, um, you know, if you can let them do their thing and, and they can hold down the back on their own, gives you an opportunity to get some, get creative with Brandon Smith, get creative with, with Curtis Jacobs, use those guys as blitzers and, and, and really not only take the quarterback and, and trying to make him make a bad decision, but get in there and stop a run for a two yard loss, knock them off schedule, do that sort of thing. So I think it's a very important to, uh, to see the trust that Penn state's uh, that Brent Pry and Penn state's defensive uh, coordinators, or excuse me, defensive coaches have put in that secondary. Penn State is not publicly publishing their depth chart this year. It was something that we talked about. Probably mattered more. Definitely mattered more before week one because uh, we have seen the team. We actually get to see the team now in, in games and, and occasionally on practice fields as well. So by now, we're getting a pretty good sense of, of how this lines up for Penn State. We have a better understanding of who's not going to be available and who is now available. And thus, going into this game, Sean, you put together a, an updated look at the Penn State depth chart through five weeks and um it was up online 247.com i think i think tuesday night but here we'll have a chance to go through it a little bit we can skip the running back conversation to me uh on offense it probably starts at wide receiver and what's happening behind those three starters who are getting a ton of reps well i mean you mentioned the ton of reps that's that's what it is you've got uh three guys that are eating up everything uh dotson washington and, and lambert smith you get a spell of uh, cam sullivan brown a little bit less of marquise wilson I mean, if it, if it does, if it's if it's working, just go with it. You know, I, you'd love to see them cultivate that depth and get a true two deep and and run guys in and out. But when the guys on the top are are so much better than the guys that are replacing them, I you know just go with it. Especially when we talk and take into account the tight ends, how much they've been involved. Now that will be an issue moving forward. Obviously, Dotson's gone after this season. You get at least one more year, of Parker Washington, uh, Keandre Lambert Smith. Uh, in that same class as well. You've got to develop there and you might be seeing Penn state look to the portal for, for a receiver or something like that. Um, but uh, that's, that's something to deal with later, but you're feeling pretty good about what you've got right now, just based on the, the fact that those guys have been so so productive, three receivers in the top 20 in big 10 receiving uh, as big 10 receivers. And they're signing a bunch of receivers in the next class as we I'm have covered here as all. Sorry. <laughs> so, Sean, offensive offensive front. Um, I mean, we we saw five guys out there, and they stuck with those five guys uh, for the reps that mattered against Indiana. Um, but something to note there: Bryce Hefner 
didn't seem to be available for this team um, in that matchup based on what we saw on the field working working toward kickoff. So, look, how do we feel about the – are there eight, nine, ten guys that this team feels comfortable? Is it more like six or seven? Because I know Troutwine has talked about needing ten and feeling like that's what they want. I'm not sure you're getting there right now when I go down this list. Yeah, I think you're at six, to be honest with you. And that's uh, kind of a, a dangerous game there because, you you know, if you have one guy go down, um, you got to figure out to, is, is Des Holmes the next guy up? Bryce Effner, uh, excuse me, Bryce Effner was hurt um, and didn't didn't play last weekend. He's basically been your sixth guy and he can play all those positions, but he's got to be healthy to do so. So I think that that's a kind of a, a scary um, depth angle. Uh, Olu Fushanu, I think he's going to be very good eventually. I don't think he's ready to go. I think Rashid Walker said he was game ready, um, but that's a, that's a lot to ask of a redshirt freshman to throw him in there, figure out what you can do and, and whether or not you have to move guys around. So um, knock on wood that, that that first line has stayed healthy so far. Um, Anthony Wigan, I, I, I don't know. He, he showed he wasn't the guy in week one. You'd love to have Salim Wormley. So you're, you're talking about those numbers building up to 10 that way. Um, but that's a, that's a thin group. And, and, and that just shows how a, how a guy like Efner is is so key, even though he's not playing those snaps. And the two deep involves starters elsewhere be, uh, or, or or multiple guys. Because Bryce Efner, I think you would pretty solidly say now is your number two left guard and your number two right tackle, and then your number two center is going to take one of your guards. I think from their spot, whether it's Juice Scruggs, who I would lean toward, or Eric Wilson, who we saw get his first reps at center a couple of weeks ago against Villanova. Um, one other name here to note, because people are probably wondering where his name has been this year. It hasn't been in the uh, in the game rep sheet to this point is Landon Tengwall, uh, the top rated offensive lineman that Penn State brought in enrolled last January. Got a little bit of feedback from from uh, on him from Rashid Walker. Like you said, Rashid Walker feels like Olu Fashano is ready to play and start for Penn State if they needed him to be. Um, he didn't go that far with Lennon Tengwall. He called him a workhorse, said he feels like he can play any positions on the offensive line. When we've been on the practice field, it's been right tackle uh, where we've seen Landon Tengwall, but we've talked about this a lot before. Could be guard, could be tackle. Um, we'll see where his where his career takes him. One other name here as a notable riser that Rasheed Walker went out of his way to point toward is Nick Dawkins, guard, center. Like we said, maybe numbers, maybe the number two center um, that people, maybe people may see him as number two center, but you're going to pluck someone from a different spot and, and put them in the center position. It would seem. So he's had a chance to work behind the scenes here. Rishi Walker says it feels like he's added two three, four inches of height since he showed up on campus and has really grown into his body, which is good to hear. Cause we know how much Nick Dawkins meant to that class from a leadership and mentality standpoint. Um, it's good to hear that, that he's making progress because we talk so much about the tackles, uh, they need to get some new juice, no pun intended there, but they need to get some new guys going at the guard positions as well moving through this year. Yeah, you're going to see, I think, some movement after the season. But uh, for now, we're talking about right uh, in the moment. And it's good for it's really good for Dawkins to be there. Uh, Achumba's, uh, Golden Israel Chumba has been on the practice field with them as well. So um, you hopefully hopefully the, the light can come on for some of those redshirt freshmen after this season. I think Fashanu far and away closest to playing Dawkins uh, right in there as well. Um, but that that's a group that's going to have to continue to come along. You took five, you, you know, you hope to get to two or three of those guys and, and eventually make them starters. So we will see what happens uh, in the off season. But for now, you've got to figure that, um, that, that, that if you're rolling for Shanu out there, it's probably going to come with some redshirt freshman bumps. Sean, for a lot of the offseason, whenever we talked about the defensive line, we would like list 12 names at each spot and say, figure it out. Someone's got to step up. 
we, we, we now know that six guys are getting a lot of playing time and some others are starting to get some more as well. You got Arnold Ebicady, uh, Jesse Lucchetta, Nick Tarburton at defensive end. Inside, it's been P.J. Mustafer, Derek Tangelo, with a lot of Devon Ellis, who was impressed. We talked about him. But you're also seeing Keziah Izzard, Fatoma Moba involved there. Um, you've got the veteran in Fred Hansard. He's year number five on campus. But clearly, there's been some movement. Younger guys making some strides, getting on the field. Uh, I'm not expecting to see Penn State go five or six deep at this position on a weekly basis, particularly when you're going to tighten things up against Iowa. And I think last week afforded them the opportunity to kind of load up your frontline players again with reps here. But we've said before, you can't expect to do that every week. Look at the schedule. There's got to be some flexibility. And I feel like they're starting to develop that on the defensive front, but there's still a lot to learn about the Zariah Fishers, the Smith Vilberts, the Keziah Izzards of this roster. Yeah, you've got you've got a pretty uh... – pretty stark contrast between one through three at those spots and then four through six. And, and you're probably just going to see one through three this weekend as they tighten up those rotations. Uh, luckily, Jesse Lucchetta has has been a hit at that uh, defensive end spot. So they've been able to do that. You saw a little bit of Smith Vilbert uh, last weekend. Still think he's coming along. Fisher, I still think he's he's got an, another year um, before he's ready to go. And, and on the interior, Derek Tangelo has been very big for them. Be interesting to see if Keziah Izzard, um, can step up and you can have a true two deep where you can rotate uh, Devon Ellis and Izzard in there and try and figure out if those guys um, can can go right away because you know that that gives you some confidence. You know you're probably losing Mustafer after this year, Tangelo after this year. There's still some talent in there. Um, Ellis has played more than we, as we say so often, more than we expected. But Izzard and Fatuma Moba, if those guys can can get some get their feet wet kind of understand what's to be expected of them and, and go for it and, and and make that that stride that can give you a couple of years of, of of solid contributions there in the middle linebacker that's exactly what stands out to me too it's not necessarily what's happening here in october of 2021 but what's starting to develop for 2022 because at linebacker there's going to be some moving pieces this offseason there's no doubt about it and we've got jesse lucetta listed as a second teamer here clearly he is defined now as, as a defensive end within this scheme, as long as things are going according to plan and Ellis Brooks is available. Beyond that starting unit, though, guys like Charlie Katz here, Tyler Elsden, uh, a couple of the freshmen, Kobe King uh, more so than Jamari Budden, but probably seen them you know, scattered snaps across the, the last three or four weeks uh, and some flashes from that group, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a group that's got a lot of talent in it. It's just the numbers aren't great, and and we'll see what happens after the season with with Brandon Smith. And obviously, this is Ellis Brooks's last year um, because you're going to have to replace those guys, and you're going to have to figure out what's uh, you know kind of what's next with those. I know, I know you've got some linebackers coming in in this 2022 class, but at the same time, uh, you, you almost have to have a bridge from from Brooks and potentially Smith to to that next group. So we'll see what happens there. It might be uh, it might be a, an opportunity for them to explore the portal once again. Because uh, you don't have established starters coming back, and we saw how important that was for a guy like Mike Jones, who uh, you know went the Clemson transfer this off season. So I I, I don't know how this thing is going to look a year from now. You know, you feel good about Jacobs, obviously. Um, Budden's done some nice things. Kobe King has played in four games, um, so you 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 feel like you're getting these guys some sort of experience. But at the end of the day, you got to have your top level guys ready to go, and they've they've done that this year in the 2021 version of the squad. But the 2022 version of the squad will well, it re- very much remains to be seen where this what this is going to look like in a year. And sorting through the defensive backfield depth chart that you put together, it's it's an abundance of talent right now, the way they are playing and really matching and exceeding the expectations that everybody had for what looked on paper to be an impressive group. And 
some names that jump out to me here and because you, you go beyond the starters and there's a bunch of fascinating case studies. Kalen King, you know, how much better can he get from game six to game 12, 13 or beyond? And then talking about uh, Keaton Ellis, maybe no one on this defense. Am I more curious to see how the development goes as a, as a two deep player, not as a starter right now? because I think that could be a tremendous storyline on, on where his career goes and where this Penn State defense goes moving ahead. And the other thing here is probably just how little conversation there has been about the star role and needing to replace the guy who is playing that role because Daquan Hardy, uh, as I talked about earlier this week, he has done everything they've asked of him and uh, he is staying on the field and starting games for a reason at this point. He's done it well. He's done it well. You have to give your kudos to Daquan Hardy because it's, I don't want to call it a 180 from last year, but it's a, it's a pretty stark turnaround from what he was at, where, where he was last year. Um, so that secondary, of course, has been phenomenal. Um, I would, I, I will agree with you. I'd love to see what Keaton Ellis can do. I think he provides you more upside in the back four than, than Jonathan Sutherland and gives you a little bit more speed back there as well. So we will see where his, uh, what, what his trajectory is, but it's a shame we, we missed him over the first three weeks of the season because, you know, you, you'd like to see him get reps and develop there and continue to learn that position because he, he hasn't been there all that long. Uh, recruiting is something we plan to dive into a bit more than than we have been able to during the bye week, uh, which is which is upcoming here. Sean, do we have to, anything to hit? Um, I know we got a bunch going on behind the scenes. You've got a, a VIP chat happening right now at lines247.com where you're answering anything and everything, it seems, about Penn State recruiting efforts. Anything you you care to share on the show right now? Um, you put me on the spot. I'm, I'm looking at the site right now. We've got some midseason stuff going up. A lot, a lot of those guys are putting up their midseason highlights. Ken Talley highlights fun to up. watch. Ken Talley's up. Obviously, Drew Lahr has been tremendous uh, this year. So uh, I don't really have anything going on crazy. I do suggest you check out the chat. It was, yeah. uh, it was burning up earlier today and there's a lot of stuff in there. Um, so we'll just, uh, I'll just defer you to that one because uh, you put me on the spot and I honestly have nothing to, uh, nothing off the top of my head. Yeah, we got we got the paywall to maintain here, so you know it's it's a fine line to walk sometimes. And by the way, until Thursday at midnight, well, what a perfect segue here, Sean. Two months, one dollar. This is your chance to jump in with lines247.com if you have not already been subscribing. Carries you through the rest of the regular season toward that build up towards signing day. You can learn what goes on uh, behind that paywall on the site if you have not already uh, on lines247.com. We have that promotion up on our front page right now. It's time for our five-star mailbag, Sean, and uh, it brings us to that conversation. Uh, now that Kalen King has burned his red shirt, which other Penn State freshman do you expect to do the same this season? And is it a difficult conversation for the staff to convince players that redshirting is a good idea? Honestly, right now, uh, I'd say he's the only one. I know Kobe King has played in four, but there's there's talk from from people that I've touched base with that they're tr going to try and preserve that redshirt. Uh, Jamari Budden's been in there as well. Mark's been keeping up with the true freshmen. Um, but no, I mean, this is not an instant impact class. And and you're seeing the best player in this class, Kalen King, is playing, you know, pretty pretty sparse reps. So it's uh, it's tough to break in there. We thought we'd see Landon Tengwall on the field by now. Um, obviously, that's a big jump to make from from high school to, to playing on the offensive line. But uh, that, that hasn't happened now. Um, is it difficult for the staff to convince players that redshirting is a good idea? Not particularly. These 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 guys are well aware of what's going on around them. Um, so you know maybe maybe a guy like Harrison Wallace might be a little bit more difficult because you're not getting um, you know a ton of production from all of your wide receivers, and he thinks he can step in there and, and make a difference. Where you know on the other side uh, you've got uh, Khalil Dinkins who's not going to see the field over three tight ends. So it, it's pretty obvious. I mean, 
I think James Franklin talked about this a couple of weeks ago um, with redshirting, with um, I, I hate to, to bring the portal into this, but everybody kind of knows where they're at. This was the depth chart conversation, actually. Yeah. Everybody kind of knows where they're at and you kind of accept that. And while we sit here and talk about it and talk about it and talk about it, these guys go to practice every day, see who's in front of them, see why that player is in front of them. I, I love the thing that I think Terry Smith does it is, uh, you know, he lets his players fill out their depth chart and and who they think should be playing and things like that, because peer feedback like that is just uh, yeah. invaluable. So I think that it's not very difficult once you understand where you stand in the program and uh, you just go for it. And, and this, this class with all they had to deal with, with coming in, um, you know, when they did or being recruited when they did, um, you know, you, you, it, it's not a surprise that there's not a, a ton of guys getting run. Yeah. Terry says uh, very much more often than not that, that list that they put together of, of who should be playing all the way down to the bottom very much matches up with the staff depth chart. And he says, it can also be a little bit of a shocking moment for some guys in terms of self-awareness. And I think that's really what you're talking about. If, if you're a freshman out there and you're on the field, um, you, your focus needs to be on getting better every day. That's what the coaches are hammering. It's not about what you're doing right now. What can you be for the program for two, three, four, five year span of your life? That, that That's the big picture. Look at it. Um, and, and remember, juggling the classroom stuff, even with Caitlin King, that's something that Tariq Castro Fields mentioned has been a challenge for him is you got to show up to class. You got you to handle those grades. You got to maintain everything off the field if you want to do what you think you can accomplish on the field. I think what you look at right now with this group, Sean, is um, you know, offensively, no injection from a true freshman here. That, that's kind of interesting. You got John Lovett from the transfer portal. Um, those wide receivers to this point, Wallace got a couple games in, nothing for Liam Clifford. Don't know if, if there's going to be an open lane for either of them based on the way that, that reps have been handled at the top of the receiving group. I think the other thing here is you talk about, um, you know, maybe Kobe King gets reined back a little bit like we saw with uh, Caden Wallace a couple years ago. And they got to that. Uh, they decided to preserve and, and, and they decided to preserve that year of eligibility. It wasn't worth burning, but. Injuries do happen, and that's going to mess with this conversation. And additionally, guys are going to ball out in practice. Marquise Wilson wasn't supposed to burn his red shirt a couple of years ago. He did. Jahan Dotson wasn't supposed to burn his red shirt. He was a starter by the end of his first year on campus. So guys love opportunities here. But I think what stands out to me and probably speaks a lot about what Mike Yersich has done with the group that awaited him on this roster is that they have not called upon a single true freshman to take a meaningful rep on offense uh, to this point. Now, every rep is meaningful for a freshman to that freshman, but in terms of wins and losses, you haven't been looking at first-year players uh, on offense for Penn State, and, and that doesn't happen very often. Yeah, and I think that that can be said for both sides of the ball. I know it's just your such talking offense, but um, you look at the positions where maybe a guy could break through, maybe a Jalen Reed could break through. He's not supplanting anybody in that top four. So, I mean, why why use him? Why play him? I think he's played in two games so far. And then you've got the spots where you're thin. Um, you've got, you know, defensive ends like Davon Townley and, and Rodney McGraw who are not close to being ready. So the, it's kind of a pick your poison type thing here. Um, like I said, Harrison Wallace is the only one that kind of moves the needle for me in terms of what he could bring to the table. And, and could he get on the field and make an impact? We've seen how big that leap is, uh, you know, over the years. So um, I, I don't see this this class really going any further than Kalen King getting that red shirt. Maybe if they have to play Kobe King um, due to injury, due to special teams, things like that, then then they'll have that. Then they'll you know be pressed into it. Um, but for the most part, that's that's basically what we expected. You talk about the preservation of eligibility on this roster. If you go through essentially another recruiting cycle where guys aren't burning 
uh, I mean, that's a lot of eligibility for your youngest two or three classes on this roster. feels like guys are going to be able to stick around forever uh, when you think about it here, Sean. So something also to manage with, from a personnel standpoint for, for Andy Frank and company, I guess. Yeah. And I, and I just don't think there's, you look at this makeup, the makeup of this group, and I just don't know that there's guys that are, you know, physically ready to just go with it. And, and you think if you play, if you, that that's always been the thing. If you play them as a true freshman, you don't get that extra year at the end. Um, whereas if you redshirt them, you know, you, you get five years potentially and they could leave early or something like that. This isn't a group that I, I see anybody that's, that just gung ho, you're just going to be here three years and then you're gone. You know, we, we've seen that in the past. We saw that with, uh, with guys that, you know, with Barkley and those guys that, uh, you know, Parsons, nobody in this class really gives you that, that vibe. So it's going to be tough for them to sort of rationalize, not, not taking that extra year. Beyond having a, a much high, higher rated class, a different part of the conversation next year, assuming Sean Clifford is not the quarterback for Penn state, there's going to be a quarterback competition and that's going to be a whole different thing to talk about in terms of burning red shirt and what you risk maybe from a personnel standpoint in that conversation, that's where the position first year player quarterback that's a different entity. And right now, Christian Veyer knew what he was walking into. Sean Clifford's the guy. I didn't play senior year of football. Okay, that is not the circumstance. And I know we're getting far ahead of ourselves, but it's going to be a different ball game in that realm starting next January. Given the 2021 and 22 classes next to next to each other, I think we're going to have a different conversation at this time next year. No doubt about it. Um, let, let's uh, let's move on. Uh, in game week, we got to get the practice pretty soon, so we'll go do that. We got a lot to get to online, 247.com. Uh, the VIP chat is happening. There's a lot of recruiting content. And of course, Iowa versus Penn State under the microscope heading into a Saturday 4 p.m. kickoff. We're back on Thursday with our next episode of the Lions 24-7 podcast, which, of course, you can catch on YouTube. Our channel is Lions 24-7. Drop your five-star mailbag on Apple Podcasts. We'll talk to you real soon. I'm Tyler Donahue. He is Sean Fitz. Our producer is Lance Glenn. And this is the Lions 24-7 podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.